Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Remember what? Remember back when we were growing up? And like every once in a while I would run across you like I'd see you like in, in foreign or like like I'd see you coming out of the turbo lift. Or like I would try to sneak up to the bridge and just walk onto the bridge just for a little while. You stuck you got to get on the bridge? I remember one time I took this Jeffrey's tube all the way up to like the battle bridge. I've never been more excited about a- any event upcoming than I was for Star Trek Picard. Because I felt like it was gonna be a return to the next generation like it was going to be star trek the next generation the next generation <laughs> and in and thus in being so it was going to be like a return home i am jack dorino my name is earl gray we are apparently in the mirror universes where we got opposite names of each other welcome to opposite names Dave. we are discussing remembrance remember me pepper farm remembers <laughs> So this is this this scene is very pretty. All the oh, it's gorgeous, gaseous stuff. It's certainly the most beautiful episode of Star Trek CGI, Star Trek Next Generation CGI that I've ever seen. There's yeah. several moments in this that would make my yeah. like Windows desktop forever. <laughs> like they're well, so wait, good. what? Why are we zooming in on the Enterprise D? I thought the Enterprise D crashed. Uh, yes, but look how beautiful it is. It's so worth it taking know, right? all that time. It is the most beautiful I have ever seen. Yeah. And I, you know, I've seen her in HD, but whatever this is, this Enterprise D is the most gorgeous thing to come home to. It's a little metallic, actually, to be honest, but. Little metallic? Yeah, it seems a little harder. <clears throat> Then, like the Enterprise D always seemed to me to be like a heavy plastic, and this one seems very uh, metal. Well, <laughs> well, I'm sure it was very plastic. Yeah, which is why I think that made sense to me before. <laughs> I, I, of course, immediately know that this is a dream, right? Because data is dead, my Enterprise is gone. Funny, they're they're in the same set that we, we are in. Behind Picard. Uh, they extended the set by using mirrors, it almost looked like. Well, they um, had to. But Don't I, you remember when they came down here last year and made this this episode? You mean like two years ago? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I have a really bad concept of time. <laughs> Forgive me. I feel like this is where we left off. <laughs> like, we, left, we left off like playing cards, right? In in the end of Star oh, Trek you Next mean Generation. All good things? Yeah, yeah. Like we, yeah, must, we, we totally left off did. playing cards. So like this is it was yep. so comfortable coming back to the scene. I was like, oh, we came all the way back. I also didn't want the game. Five to queen queens of heart. As soon as Picard said Dude, that's it, that's foreshadowing. And as soon as Picard said he was all in, I also was all in. I was ready for this. <laughs> it was interesting that Data uh, lays down five cues to win. I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting that uh, they are, are they foreshadowing Q or are they foreshadowing a queen? I, I hadn't even considered queen like that. Mm. It's pretty wild. I'm highly amused by the fact that he called his, his dog number one. Mm-hmm. I wonder what yeah. Will thinks of that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, captains have 
different first officers at different times. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, if it's his habit to call his first officer number one, then, you know, it doesn't have to be Riker and Riker moved on. Yes, he became someone else's number one. I love how he senses that uh, Picard woke up from a nightmare or was having a nightmare yes. and he goes and yes. checks out. Comes straight for him. We cut over to, what was it, France? Yes, it's Paris. Okay. I would find myself wondering if his uh, cybernetic implant eyes, like Jordy's. Whoa, no, he doesn't have cybernetic implant eyes. No, he's a Zahian. Yeah, but those eyes are not. They're just like Mihani Kahalikapos from Discovery. They, they might blink the same way, but he. No. When they zoomed in on him, they were definitely mechanical. No, no, no. He's, no, he's Zahian. There's no cybernetics in him. You got to go back and look at me, uh, Mihani Kahalikapos' eyes. They're just the same. It's, it alarmed me. I want to point out, I want to point out very sharply, it alarmed me that the very first death on Star Trek Picard was a black man being knifed in the chest. <laughs> I just want to point out briefly. Yeah. Like, it really bothered me. The, 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 yeah, the, the, the black guy is always the first guy to die. It really... Yeah, it was really like, ooh, they the really lift that one. Like, that was really bad. Especially since the lead of this television show is an old white male who's probably pretty well off, right? Who's well off? Uh, Patrick Stewart. Sir, I'm sorry, Sir Patrick Stewart. I suppose he could be. I don't think that Picard himself is well off, though. He owns a vineyard. I what mean... What are you talking about? There... There's no need for money in He in has a tracker card. that's in, that's nearly impossible to to track him down on his homeworld. He has okay. Romulans who live with him. Yeah, they're roommates. I mean, what what else is a roommate for than to help you pay the bills? Oh no, I think he pays them. Oh, okay. So this episode is uh, the first episode of season one. It first aired on the 23rd of January, 2020. So January 23rd, 2020, what was happening around then? Uh, the world was just about to close up. <laughs> we were just about a month before the entire the closure of the entire world. Didn't we? We closed yeah, like in March. Yeah, yep. Little did we know what lay ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. Such an innocent time then. Yeah. All we had to contend with was Trump being ridiculous. Time. Sure glad we don't have to yeah. deal with that anymore. Well, hopefully at least not for the next four years. E, I'm kidding, because we definitely four still have to deal years. with the ridiculousness of that. Well, yeah. I mean, unless they imprison him forever, you know, for stealing uh, presidential papers. Oh, you can't steal them. He borrowed them. He said, whoops, I didn't know they were yours. <laughs> Would you like them back? destroying archival documents. I'm just tearing them into little pieces so that you can make puzzles out of them <laughs> for the children. That's all. I'm making politics fun for children. <laughs> this episode is number 769th of 700. all okay. Star Trek production. Hey, 769. Hey, 769. <laughs> uh, the teleplay is by Akiva Goldsman is like integral to the creation of much of current Star Trek. Okay. He's done 
his his fair share and a, a fair wonderful share of work on uh, across the uh, the Star Trek uh, Uniscape. Okay. So having him as the uh, app of the team of the teleplay is wonderful, and also having the story partially by him and James Duff of the famous Duff uh-huh. Brewery Beer Company. Okay, that's him. Uh-huh. And. <laughs> Uh, our, our story is by Akiva Goodman and Michael Chabon. Michael Chabon, and uh-huh. Kristen Beyer. Kristen Beyer, yep. She wrote much of the Voyager uh, postseason seven stuff. Oh, the books. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Alex Kurtzman and, uh, again, James Tuff. Yeah, Alex Kurtzman has the entire reigns of the entire Star Trek franchise for the next, I believe, three years. <laughs> and he's had them for the In last the palm two. of his hand. No, I mean, like, that's the contract he signed. He signed a five-year contract with CBS to produce oh, Star okay. Trek. Uh, the director of this episode is Hannibal Culpepper. Oh, it's actually Hannah Lee Culpepper. That's what I said. Okay. And uh, it takes place in 2399. 2399 is how many years after? So 2363 was the first season of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Correct. It was... 70 years after the end of uh, the first se- series, but the first series started in 2266. So, I know that most of Voyager took place in the 2370s. Yeah, so 2363 being the first year of Star Trek New Generation makes sense because the final year would be 2370, and then 2370 would be the first year of Star Trek Voyager, and then yada and yada and yada on the 2377, uh, which would be when Voyager would have returned home, perhaps 76, 77, not sure which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that sounds okay. boot rate. So we're on, <laughs> we're, on, we're on Star Trek Picard. Mr. Pickard. Remember that lady? Mr. Pickard. Yep. Yep. This is Remembrance. <laughs> so we're remembering different episodes of different times that Picard wore civilian clothing. Yes, we are, like Gambit. D- does he seem to look out of place without his uniform? Um, no, he never does. Like, when he's on no. his uniform, he never looks out of place. Except in that I almost said the words MFing. Except in that Robin Hood thing. Oh, okay. I don't I don't like that. I don't. I didn't like the. I, I don't like the. <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah that, okay. it didn't bother me then, but like it bothers me now to look at. It. I'm like, why would they fuck? <laughs> why, would, why would they make? Anyway, and also the first season uniforms from Star Trek: The Next Generation looked incredibly uncomfortable, and I've heard that they uh, are the reason that Patrick. Never mind. <laughs> well, the, the first season, first up, the first, yeah, first season uniforms were the ones that hurt. Uh, Jonathan Frakes back. Yes, this is what I've heard. That's what they say. So, back, back. They put back mm-hmm. in quotes because it's like skin tight spandex, well, right? No, it's just, it's just making a joke because okay. it probably hurts your balls if you're standing there in spandex. Oh, okay. it probably really squeezes your junk a lot. That's all I'm saying. Okay. It definitely gives the women camel toe tell you that much it's a it's dark black camel toe but it's certainly camel toe <laughs> but we're not doing that yeah. show we're doing star trek picard yeah so let's talk about uh let's talk about that let's talk about tracks 
Sure. Let's talk about the credits. Because the credits. Yes, the credits. Because I, as much as I adored those opening scenes and believe that there was one moment actually where the like the Enterprise in the lower left hand corner it could make a beautiful desktop. There are some beautiful scenes and imagery in the in the credits as well. And one is this Borg element because it it seems to be features as like a relic. Um and you know kind of hazy and unclear and it, I thought it was a cool new way to feature uh feature them without the the same old like I'm gonna come get you like trope. I mean I don't remember seeing the board element. You don't? Let's watch the credits then. And then we can talk about the credits after then. How about that? Yeah, we can go back and watch the credits. Three, two, one, go. Glasses dropping. Yes. So a piece of the sky falls. The sky is falling. And then it looks to be merging with like natural stuff like the wood and goes into yeah, the, the soil the wood, which is where um, you get like stuff like silicate and then it's like they have like the burned out orc sphere that's like the silicate mined from deep within a planet okay yeah. and then this piece of the sky still falling into and then there's like some sort of biological version of this same silicate right and now it's like some elegant sort of like crystalline structure that then morphs slowly into like a new form of DNA and like a new life form becomes, of DNA. yeah it's like a it silicate the, form uh, two 12 sided dice like a piece of the sky fell down and became a new bi- form of biology that then spread out into the sky again and then came back and became a part of Picard well, yeah, the piece of the sky that fell from it's there. That's ooh, that could be reference to the aliens that progenitated the whole, all the races of the galaxy. Oh, okay. So here's the DNA. Okay. The eye forms. There's a piece of the sky. Oh, and then it's shiny eye so it's almost like an android eye because it's got light in it and it almost looks borgy then it turns into a robot terminator eye (laughs) then it turns into mars falling apart which turns into picard's neck okay (laughs) i think it's hilarious what they did there they took all those elements and wove them together with like a single fleck of sky. <laughs> Do you think they're referencing the, uh, the the fact that all the alien races in the Milky Way galaxy are related to the one lady when they stitch all their clues and their DNA together that looks like the female changeling? Yeah, I, I'm upset that they stole their makeup still. They should have really kept their makeup for just that progenitor race because when we saw the founders, I was like, oh, it's the... And they were like, no, it's it's somebody else entirely. Like, what? No. That's the... No. What? No. Or are Maybe they implying... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got there at the same time. <laughs> so... The progenitor race became yeah, the changeling. Sure. 
why are they hiding on the other side of a wormhole? After they evolved from solid to liquid to become the, the oh, changeling. Oh shit, what did their mind, everybody's mind erased and they're all like just a whole bunch of brand new empty beings. They're new individuals, but the individuals that there are today as the changelings, as the female changeling and Odo and so forth are ancestors of the progenitor race. The ancestors of the progenitor race? Yeah, the future ancestors. Ancestor comes before, descendant comes after. Yeah, that that's the word. Maybe that's the word I was thinking about. Yeah. So, so anyway, o Odo and the female changeling and all of them are descendants of the progenitor race, but they don't okay. necessarily have the memory. Okay. I mean, it's been millennia, if not mil millions of years, since they were those solids. You know, the, the lady that Picard and the Romulans and the Klingons and Cardassians all met and I can't what was the name of that episode? Who uh the chase. Okay. They were chasing down the clues of this thing and then they found out whoops, we're all kissing cousins. Only we're not kissing. <laughs> it's a cult it is a clever way to uh explain why all the aliens of, of the galaxy looked at Yeah, why they all look like humans. That was a very clever idea. Okay. Let me tell you. Yes, sir. As we open this episode, I love mm -hmm. nothing more than the real estate video that we have. As we're, like they're trying to sell me Chateau Picard, so they're showing me the video that the realtor would show me <laughs> oh, okay. in their office. Here's our brilliant Chateau Picard. Okay, the flyover, the drone flyover. Uh, yeah. I like the shots of Picard and and number one just roaming through the. What is that? Why do you think that tractor is spraying on everything? Is it a pesticide or is it just watering the grape? I believe that it's collecting. Well, it's spraying. A, a liquid. It is spraying a liquid. Yes, it's probably. I don't know what it's doing, yeah, man. It's supposed to be fertilizing them. Hopefully, it's not uh, chemical fertilizer. Yes. Like Hopefully, it's supreme chemical fertilizer. It's some sort nothing of but... advanced technology that doesn't affect the groundwater and the environment. Oh, it doesn't matter. You beam all that crap out into yeah. space. All the bad stuff that happens, beam it out into space. <laughs> Send it all to Titan. Well, remember, there's a colony on Titan. That's what they're mad about. There are trash up there. The uh, the first thing that that first thing that Picard tells this dog is, "Don't take it in the house." So, what's the first thing the dog does? Takes it into the house. That's it. That's it. Of course. Is that an actual quail that he found? I hope not. But it looked like a quail. Yeah, it did. Uh, when we first go up to the up to the actual chateau. Uh, we meet two yeah. Romulans. Their names are Laris and Javon. What are they watching? What's he watching? Is that Battlestar Galactica? So there is actually, there's a candlelight visual that uh, Javon is watching oh. and tapping on the news. Uh, and then candlelight um. visual is for the upcoming anniversary of an attack on Mars. Uh, oh, okay. During that news report, we see in the middle of the screen a Fugard's ring doorbell has popped up. It's his Siri or... The other lady we don't mention because we don't want to activate her. Who, Alexa? I'm in the studio. She can't hear me. <laughs> we heard you. Never mind. <laughs> I am confused about Picard's Romulan slaves. Why do you assume that they're not paid? I, because there's no money. They're they're not compensated whatsoever? I mean, they get to stay on the plantation. I guess it's the same as... 
you know, like um, yeah, they, they get to eat every day and have fresh air. And, and, and they're 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 working for the man, a white plantation they, owner. They are indeed. Yes, they are. So you know, it doesn't bother me in the slightest that this is going on in front of me. Picking picking vet picking yeah. fruit. Picking picking berries from a vine. From very, you know, hard and gnarled vines. Well, we've never seen them pick anything. No, this is very this is very comfortable for me. I mean all we see out in the fields usually, unless they're just walking around, is robots. Well that's what they want you to see. Or drones. That's what they want you to see. All they all those things do is fertilize. For the actual picking, you have to have human hand, uh, you know, Romulan hands. <laughs> Romulans do it best because their fingers are narrow. Yeah. From being sneaky all the time. <laughs> oh, those sneaky Romulans. Yes. Oh, the lady walking away wasn't the female Romulan. This yeah, it wasn't. Romulan. Yeah, that was now, Deanna Troy. Are these little pins that they have, the de the decorative pins that aren't Starfleet Deltras, but they're still are they still communicators? These are the Chateau Picard uh, communication pins. Oh, okay. They're very small and discreet. They're lapel pins, sort of. They are. It's just They're like, kind of you know, willing, ambassadors. Willing it's just like ambassadors and uh, and Congress people wear on their lapels, you know, so they can be seen on television. How come none of them are Ukrainian flags? I don't know. Maybe that's over and Ukrainian, Ukraine, Ukraine has uh, has won their independence, I'm sure, by this time, and they're part of NATO. They're, they're also a part of the EU. They're, they're the originators of the inside-out tie design that Picard's wearing here. Inside-out tie, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, his tie looks like it's sort of, like, made upside down for some reason. So, we, we discover TV has been brought back, no doubt by Neelix, a boon in all of our sides, especially even news from what I can only assume is the successor to CNN. Yeah, the Federation News Network, of course, because what else would it be? Do you think they're a state-funded news agency? So Picard's appearing on state-run propaganda. <laughs> Which is why they maybe delve right into the quite forbidden topics that he she wasn't supposed to talk about, and then, you know, she totally ignores it, because it's like, who cares? It's state-run. we got to propagandize this anyway. Oh, sure. So they have to they have to make sure that they paint Picard as the, the crotchety old outsider. I think her earring is interesting is it a, does it serve a function or is it decorative only you know i'm sure it's some sort of audio earpiece as well i'm certain that's what that's for okay you know, like a bone conduction sort of thing who, who do you think this is uh the guy standing behind her earlier in the scene that tusky mctuskerson oh that's craft services oh. he makes the food for the day well what what species do you think he is Oh, is he making bacon? He's a Tellarite binar, half uh, oh, binar, half Tellarite. They they come in threes. <laughs> okay. So the the news intro package with yeah. the uh, the old like shots, the old publicity shots from Starlog magazine. Uh huh. This is the reason that Michael Dorn gets credit in this episode. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I, actually I get it. Now. Actually credited in the news package. He doesn't get anything cool like a floaty camera, but he does get a cool like floaty screen. Yeah. So do you think that was a prop, or do you think that was uh, painted in later? Oh, I'm sure that's a that's a paint in later. Oh, uh, I mean, they could, totally could have just flown a drone around and hovered around. It didn't have to be an actual camera. This, this is true. You know, I was a little confused when I first saw this scene because I wondered 
was this the anniversary of the rescue of Romulus or the you know destruction of Utopia Planitia? Yeah. I, it took me a long time to figure out that the two were related. Are they? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that is interesting. So are you saying that maybe they took advantage of the Horbrus event? Horbrus event? Yeah, in a manner of speaking. Very interesting. I never thought about it that way. So it's it's more like I they took the they, they created the Mars event in order to distract attention away from the Romulan rescue and in toward home instead. Oh, I never thought about that. Like, wow. There were some factions of the Federation that were all for rescuing the Romulans, which yeah. was, you know, the Starfleet that Picard and you and I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there were some people saying, oh, we should never trust the Romulans, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there were some Romulans who were eager for the help and thankful for the help yeah. for, you know, evacuating the worlds and getting off the planet, such as the Kowat Malat sisters, etc. Yeah. yeah. And then there were some Romulans who, who were saying, no, 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 we should never trust the humans. We should never do this. So they, in fact, engineered an event where the sense Ooh. took over, you know, Utopia Planitia and caused disaster, which made Starfleet then turn away despite their original intentions and their altruism and their righteousness made them force them to turn away and focus instead on what was happening on their home world, you know, or near their, you know, in their home system. And um, that's what sort of stopped the, the rescue of Romulus. Earl Grey dot exe has stopped working and then that's also the reason that picard never went back for elnor whoa okay um wow (laughs) okay he was supposed to he was supposed to come back and get him Uh, and then take him elsewhere okay and it didn't happen until much later and then when he came he showed up for selfish reasons not for elnor even though elnor so elnor had been waiting for him all that time to come back for him Yes, I mean Legolas. <laughs> uh, yet, yet another elfin name. <laughs> as I do believe that, like, Laris is kind of an elfin name as well. Laris? You know, the female Romulan slave. Well, I mean, they do have a traditional uh, fantasy elven look. They do. Although, uh, we may never know if Tolkien's el- elves had pointed ears or not. Yeah, so here's my, here's my theory of of that now is that all of what happens now now happens right and then star trek happens right and then something happens to you know up to picard happens and then something happens to like trap us all on this planet we like lose understanding of the technology and so it just becomes like innate parts of us sort of like in the 32nd century so you can like sort of do stuff without like really thinking about it and then a generation begins to be, you know, the next, like the third generation down begins to be born without the ability to control all the technology. So there's only like a few people left that can control the technology and it's considered magic. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> right. So that's where we have like the Romulans are, are become the elves and like the Tellarites can become dwarves. Navarans become elves. Well, we'll have two different types of elves. Oh. Right? So we'll have oh, like the right. good. There are dark elves, aren't there? Right, right, right. You have the dark elves and like the wood elves. Tolkien and chronicles all take and 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 westeros all take place in uh the far far future not right, right, right. alternate past exactly 
exactly that's that's always been my understanding and like the the great huge incidents like that cut off humanity from other races and stuff were like nuclear disasters and wars and stuff and like the nuclear disasters even could have caused like the the genetic drifts into uh elves etc but I like the elegant idea of oh, Romulans well, just came. Well, I mean, and... you have genetic drifts where some of them are like only three feet tall. So you get yes. halflings. Sure. Or hobbits. Sure. They're mostly and from Chernobyl. Like when uh, Russians took, took, took Chernobyl again. Oh, yes. And I don't even know what to think about all that anymore. I'm ready to just move on. <laughs> Getting back to this episode. Yes. Yes. Back to Star Trek Picard. We were in No Legacy is So Rich as Honesty. Yes. And I, I love how, you know, I mean, to, to ground himself after a disastrous interview, he reaches out to number one for support, as he sure. often did, even with Riker. Certainly. Do you ever wonder why they always end up quoting Shakespeare? Sure. I mean, that's Picard. That's Picard for you. I mean, it's really uh, Patrick Stewart for you. Picard being, yeah, a, I mean, okay. Patrick Stewart being a you know Shakespearean actor. Do you think Star Trek keeps on quoting Shakespeare just because they know that it's an open source or not open source, but uh, it, it's in the 21st century's public domain? Certainly. I mean, sure, by 400 years, you know, Walt Disney and Star Wars and whatever else is going to be in the public domain, so we might be quoting that too. Certainly much we might even totally forgotten about shakespeare let's <laughs> recording the lion king yes this is true card meets this strange hooded woman i don't know why people think hoods are going to make people not notice them if i see someone walking down the street in a hood i'm gonna like take a good look it's a certain feeling of safety that you feel in a hood i know i can't really explain it but it's sort of like being yeah, under a blanket no, almost being yeah. in the hood helps you feel safe it's not that you're trying to disguise yourself uh, both things might be true. Here, this young lady that we find out is Dodge. We find out that she has killed people, like tens of or ten people. And yeah, she's distraught about it. But why is it Picard's reaction, first reaction to security or nine one one or nine nine nine? You know, or, I do wonder that. But I also feel like number one told him that there was no threat. Uh, I mean, he charged right up to her. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he but just, he didn't, didn't do anything. Her. He didn't even, like, growl or... I mean, maybe he growled, but he didn't continue. Like, he seemed okay as soon as he got to her. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, Picard might have told her not to... Oh, he's got a knife anyway, so I just noticed that. Yeah, they were doing... Wasn't he doing some whittling a moment ago? Well, maybe he was, but he, he was... doing something with the knife, yeah. Time. Oh no, I, I don't think so. The other strange thing that I think happens here, I mean, she, she's got this gash on her head. They're sitting there standing, they're talking to each other. I guess maybe the sun is going down, but why are they waiting until after dark to seek first aid? Why didn't he go in right to the kitchen? Getting her in the house may have been difficult. Well, okay. May have had to talk her into the house. His intrigue over who she is, it compels yeah. him to kind of put caution aside. Yeah. You know, it's a, I think it's a pretty Picard, it's a pretty reasonably Picard thing to do. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how he focuses on this necklace. And I, I don't know what's unusual about it. I mean, it, it's just two rings. Well, I feel like maybe he's seen the symbol before. Okay. 
which is something that we learned that yes he has seen symbol before he doesn't recognize it at first but he you know he later realizes that he's seen that necklace on an identical woman on a painting that data did a few years ago so his subconscious drove him to say hey what is that necklace especially in the context that it was in Mm-hmm. That context being on the neck of the same woman that Data painted years ago. Yeah. Okay. You said realize that the necklace was on the the painting. Sure. I thought it was also interesting that Picard talks about the necklace first and then asks her name. What's what's up with that? Why why wasn't his first question? Okay, so lady, what's your name? Well, you know, this is how we make entry. We we show interest and you know don't go delving towards the first most possibly embarrassing or, you know, a personal thing. I've always been told as somebody with Asperger's that people's favorite question to answer is, what is your name? I assume he has a security system, correct? Perhaps as an ex officer. Yeah, they would. he would probably have a security system. I mean, similar to Riker's, I imagine, not to give too much of the future oh, of I the mean, series away. I think Riker maybe has more of a reason to have one. Huh, but we'll have to discuss that when we get there. Card is on Earth at home in his home family plantation. I, I, part of what they've often said about people back on Earth is that they forget what it's really like out in the galaxy. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. I'm not saying he doesn't have a security system. It would be interesting e- either way, but why do you think that's uh, pertinent? Just thinking about the whole part about the dog. Not you know why why didn't why didn't Picard seem alarmed? Okay. When it's finally bedtime after their expository conversation moment in the script, uh-huh. Daj made what seemed to me like a strangely, strangely human, but also inhuman because humans don't do it often or enough. But she okay. made it a point to make literal human contact and eye contact and to say thank you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if Data, you know, had become human or if Data, you know, like that would have been something that Data would have been very skilled in doing beyond the skills of your average human. Oh, okay. So I feel like... he would have done it to a fault? Well, I think that he would have done what she did, which is not something that humans typically do. Uh Uh-huh. But Data's sensibilities, if he were able to move to flesh and blood, might bring him to do exactly what she did. I'm saying that her her programming is an evolution of Data's. Uh-huh. And that the humanity of it marks them from normal humanity because most humans are less human. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've re- re- recoiled themselves because slowly over time people realize that other people might not like being touched. I noticed a neat little nifty little detail when they were doing the uh, uh, dermal regenerator suture thing. Sure. Typically with the uh, usually blue light, it's just a wide blue light that just shines on their skin. And sort of flashes back and forth, yeah. Making almost a sewing kind of motion. I think right. it was really- mm-hmm. I feel like the dermal regenerators on the next generation had a wider beam. Uh-huh. And that their back and forth flashing was far more like uh like a like a like a you know like a sewing machine 
Where you see like the whole thing going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, I, I think the next generation's thermal regenerators, we just didn't have the we didn't have HD TVs to oh, see Gene. the detail of <laughs> back and forth one. It was all blurry. It was moving too fast. Okay, Gene. <laughs> so it's interesting. Lau was played by the actress Hallie Todd. Yes, it was. She was. This actress is Issa Briones. Briones? Issa Briones. Did they picked her in part because she looked like Hallie Todd? I do believe that she has features that were favorable toward the selection of her as the android daughter of Data. Whether that has anything to do with looking like Hallie Todd or not, I think is uh -huh. secondary. So you don't think that they were trying to make her look like Lau? I think that they were using the same casting director that found Lau. <laughs> And that she didn't have to look like Hallie Todd, but she had to look like Lau. Okay. The guideline was La was Data's daughter, not okay. Data's previous daughter, but to look yeah. like Data's daughter. So if you were to take the description of Data's daughter, both Hallie Todd and Issa Briones might um, fit within those guidelines, but they would okay. not necessarily fit in within the guidelines of each other. So if you were to try and be casting somebody to look like Hallie Todd, yeah, see, I don't think that she would look. She might not. She might not look like anything like Issa Briones at all. Oh, okay. I thought of the question Dodge asks: Do you think I'm crazy? Wouldn't the most obvious answer just be immediately, without any hesitation, say no? That's because if the no, person is crazy and they're sitting within like the distance of the table from you. And they and you do think they're crazy. You say that you think they're crazy. What's going to stop them from attacking you for thinking that they're crazy? Why would Picard say anything but no? Well, you I you wouldn't necessarily say yes. I think you're crazy, but you might say, you know, you have been misguided by some some <laughs> erroneous understandings, or <laughs> I understand that. Your emotions are getting in the way of clear thinking, and that maybe you could stand to X, Y, Z. You know, like. Okay, I get it. We pan down to uh, number one, and number one gives Dodge the look that says, you know, like he'd be pointing at his eyes and pointing at her. And you're like, I got my eye on you. Because <laughs> he's like right next to her and ready to pounce if he has sure. to. Sure, yes, with his <laughs> index and middle fingers. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to take this question, but I'm very curious as to where this might lead. Um, so some people are born with empathy. Right? Mm -hmm. And some people are born with a less adept sense of empathy for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and some people were born without the ability to understand what that is. Uh -huh. um, and some people who are in that state uh, over the course of their lives have to sort of learn either to understand to or to emulate or to incorporate empathy into their daily lives and thus themselves. Or, or, or to fake it. Sure. So you're, you're, you're talking about theory of mind. Am I? What do you mean? Tell me more. Theory of mind is the idea that I know that you have similar life experiences to me that we can relate to each other through those life experiences and i know that you are a separate sentient being from me and that you exist and that you have similar feelings to the way i feel hmm. 
so that if you do something that hurts my feelings, if I were to do that same thing to you, that would probably hurt your feelings too. Do you think that that is something that Data needed to learn? Or do you think that's something that Data needed to learn how to make other people allow for him? Like, do you feel like he had to learn empathy or did you think that, like he had to impress upon other people that they should have empathy for him because he is a feeling being? Well, Data would often point out before, before generations that he didn't have emotions. So if you said something that was supposed to hurt his feelings, he said, oh, I don't care. I don't have feelings to hurt. Um, maybe after he got his, his emotion chip, then he might have had to help other people adapt to the idea that he had the emotion chip now. And that now, yes, he does care about what other people say. But do you feel like he was already empathetic before he got the emotions? I think that he was able to emulate empathy, whether or not it was true empathy, only he can answer that. How closely tied do you think uh, Data's efforts to learn to be more human were tied to an aspiration to learn empathy? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure I understand the question. Do you think I... that he found empathy as integral integral to being a human? I think so. Okay. So I, I think that oh, I think that if Data didn't have the level of empathy that he did, whatever level that was, I think Data would have been more like Lore. I think Lore had more empathy than Data. I think Lore had more of an ability Lore had to sense nothing but disdain for people. That's why he's able to send the uh, crystalline empty, uh, entity to destroy them. He saw himself as beneath them. Above them. That you, thank you. Yeah. Um, he saw them as beneath him. So, which they were when he was inside the crystalline entity. Well, the crystalline empathy. Entity. So what if one day, Dodge goes out into the stars and finds the crystalline empathy, entity. and then they, no, empathy, and then they just turn <laughs> into a giant white hole that is the wormhole through which Michael Burnham and her crew journey to a state of pure, unadulterated, undeserved emotion at least in, in accordance with the script as written. I have no idea. Sorry, did I go? I think I went somewhere else. I don't know what happened. Forgive me. Um, it, it's the crystalline entity. Oh, um, I know. I was I was creating another creature called the crystalline oh, okay. empathy. Okay. The crystalline empathy. I think that for people on the autism spectrum, I think it's possible for them to feel great and deep empathy for others. Okay. And even even though they may not understand the emotions or the emotional reactions that they get or the emotional reactions that they get to other things, they may not understand or realize some of the things that they say or do do hurt people. But when they realize that they have hurt that, that person, they feel deeply for it. 
sometimes like lore people on the autism spectrum can feel great emotions or empathy for non-human objects such, such as the crystalline entity so he may have cared greatly oh. deeply for the crystalline entity we call that crystalline empathy <laughs> see we found it <laughs> anyway disregarding you know the things the other lives that he was having an effect on uh because of the crystalline entity do you do you think that data was autistic i know that a lot of autistic members of the audience really connected with and and reached out to the the character of data there was oftentimes when Brent Spiner would go to conventions and all kinds of his fans would, would talk to him about having autistic children or being autistic or having Asperger's syndrome or Canner syndrome or whatever, and really connecting with the character of Data and giving him never ending praise for how much they appreciate how much he, the way he was able to depict Data. Well, I appreciate your answer. Um... It was to a question I didn't ask, however. The question was, <laughs> do you think Data was autistic? I think that, I don't know. Okay. I think the fans connected with Data because of his behaviors that were autistic-like. Hmm. Okay. If Data were flesh and blood human, and he still behaved the way Data did, mm-hmm. he probably would have been possibly I mean I'm not a I'm not a doctor but he possibly would have been diagnosed as being autistic that's fair I, I appreciate that answer as well I'm gonna posit that not only was data not not only was data autistic but that his emotionship <clears throat> had no effect on that autism and I think that that is evinced by my feeling that data's death came as the final act of an autistic person. Autism is just who you are, just the way you are. There is no cure for autism. So even installing an emotion chip is not gonna cure the autism because there is no cure. It's just your brain is wired differently. Data's brain is literally wired differently because he's literally got a non-flesh and blood brain. And so, yeah. Right. So I don't think that I think that he was autistic and I don't think that anything, any programming change would have changed that. Yeah, I think that that's who he was. And I don't think it had anything to do with an emotion chip. Being able to sense and feel emotions the way neurotypical people do or understand them the way neurotypical people do is something that oftentimes people on the spectrum wish that they could understand a lot better and being able to experience them for himself would definitely go a long way to helping him understand other other people that much better what do you think the purpose of that is Uh, of what is um understanding other people better so that you can relate to them better, so you can reach out to them better, so that you can interact with them better. Any The purpose of anything, any, any purpose for striving to improve ourselves should more often than not be to better understand our other fellow life forms and other life forms on the, this planet or in this galaxy or whatever. 
so that we can better interact with them and better cooperate with them. And that's incredibly well said. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Data asks, uh, Captain Picard, he says, do you want to finish it? And Picard says, I don't know how. And Data says, that's not true, sir. And hands him the tool. Shortly thereafter, mm -hmm. Picard goes to look at the painting that's hanging in his house. Right? And there's no face painted on it. There's no face painted on it? Yeah, on the one that's in his house. Uh, yeah. No, 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 there's not. There's no face on it. That's why he has to go to the Starfleet archives to pull up the one that's stuck in the transporter buffer. And he looks at that and there's Dodge's face. Shall we uh, play? Yes, let's. I'm at, well, I'm at, uh, what are you at? I'm at 2235 because I was trying to get to the point where okay. you were talking 35. About. It was a very good year. So we find that Picard is in his uniform again. His Next yeah, I do. So I like the re-uniforms in this. They're clearly made differently, and they look more comfortable. They look far more relaxed and lighter. I'm really glad of it. I, I think they also kind of realized that maybe for these scenes, it might have only needed the shirt. So the pants might have been able to be more comfortable, too. Well, the material of the uniform is thinner. Like, before, okay. it was this wool gabardine, and it's not that huh. wool now. Yeah. Which is which is I'm okay with it. It seemed it still looks the same. It looks it feels it just looks less oppressive than the uniforms were when we were on a soundstage. The the painting behind Data that Data is currently working on in the dream that we find yes. out in the dream uh -huh. doesn't have a face because it's not been finished. Okay. Picard wakes up on his desk. For some reason, he didn't go to bed. Whatever he's doing at his desk this whole time, and he's not laying on his computer. So, he turns around. It doesn't have a face because she's facing away from the painting. This is correct. It doesn't have a face because it doesn't have a face. The That's face correct. Is there. That's correct. But you can't see the face. So the painting has no face. Well, there's barely any face there. Yes, correct. Kind of peeking out from behind the hood. All right. So. My question is... I misinterpreted what you said. It's okay. To mean that she was facing the painting like she was in Data's painting. No, it's okay. And it was left unpainted. So if you want to keep playing, we can get to the question okay. that I was asking. Sure. I'm at 2353. I'm looking at the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm just going to point out briefly, the Golden Gate Bridge is lined with solar panels. And there's no, uh, there's, so there's no need for cars going across it. Everybody has these... Yeah. Air vehicles, right? Like in Futurama, it's a hover bridge. Mm -hmm. So another call back to Futurama and Star Trek. Oh, it was a call forward from to Star <laughs> Trek from Futurama. Oh, okay. Or a call backward to Star Trek from Futurama. No call forward. No, Futurama takes place in the year 3000. But I'm sure. Yeah, Futurama came out first. <laughs> uh, no, but. It existed later. <laughs> so I just thought that was a neat little addition that there was uh, solar panels. Yeah, I think it's a logical evolution. Where are you? Starfleet archives, looking right at the face. All right, so. 
you know what my question is? No. He's got this painting in his house. Yeah. He's got the painting in the archives. Uh-huh. My question is, why didn't he keep the one with the face on it? So that he would recognize her when he saw her again. <laughs> uh, I don't think he knew that he was ever... This was a, huh? He didn't expect... He didn't know that at the time that this was a real woman. Why would he... he why would he not keep the one with the face on it? Just in case, like, you know, Data made a... <laughs> What? Why, Why would you expect that Data would have done that? Why not keep it just in case? It's Data. Come on now. What if Lord like <laughs> is trying to impersonate Data and like built a whole family and stuff? <laughs> I don't think Data ever did paint this because this was never amongst any of the paintings that he had in his room. Oh, so you think someone snuck? You think someone snuck in and painted the rest of the painting and then put it back in the quantum locked archives? Yeah. Is that no. what you're saying? No, I think this is a uh, retcon. Okay. So I have a really quick question though. Okay. At twenty-five twenty-five. In the year twenty-five twenty-five. What show is that? Hold on, what show is that? The 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 song that you Yes. You were there, singing. Yes. From the an episode of Futurama. Okay, well this is also from a whole nother TV show. It's their theme song. Oh, okay. Um I, I'm I'm gonna take the the time to look it up because I'm really oh my gosh what this was the song oh crap <sighs> just ask your assistant Earl Grey what's what's the sci-fi show the your the song in the year twenty five twenty five is from <laughs> it's like okay so remember how like they had Hercules. And then, and then it became Hercules in space, um, Andromeda. Okay. So no. then, then there was like, then there was like Xena, right? And then they had Xena. Oh, it was Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. The name of the show. Oh, I didn't realize the actress that played Xena did anything after Xena. She didn't. It was actually Gina Torres. She no, the actress who played Xena. What are you talking about, dude? She did um, uh, True Blood. Like, oh really? Yeah, and then she also did Battlestar Galactica. She, was, she wasn't Suki Stackhouse, was it? No, was she it? wasn't Suki Stackhouse. Oh, okay. I so the just, audience at home, go yes. go to twenty five twenty five and in remembrance and Star Trek Picard. Okay. The one. All right. Okay. Let me just. I I would like to mention Lu, Lucy Lawless. I just. I don't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to get past the whole Lucy Lawless because Lucy Lawless is amazing in Battlestar Galactica. Okay. You know, and and also, uh, oh, you know what? I got her. I I conflated her for a moment with the, with uh, Michelle Forbes. Sorry about that, Michelle, and sorry about that, uh, Lucy okay. Lawless. <laughs> that just happened because of Battlestar Galactica. I apologize. You're both great in Battlestar Galactica. Um, Michelle Forbes, you were wonderful both in Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. And I wish you would come back to Star Trek because you would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> And Lucy Lawless, come on over here. Come on over here and join, join us on the join us on the Star Trek. Michelle Forbes was in some Road Laren. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Well, she was initially supposed to be the um, lead of Deep Space Nine. I'm aware. Yeah. Okay. And, and she turned it down. She was like, "Fuck you! I'm Jean-Vive Pujold. You okay. know, you know no. the original Catherine Janeway." Uh oh. So Jean-Vierre Bujold is the Michelle Forbes of Voyager. Oh, uh, okay. 
moving along. Twenty-five, mm-hmm. twenty-five. That's where we were. So, look all the way to the back, where uh, on the right, where that storm is on the horizon, and mm-hmm. the clouds are touching the water. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit to the left of that. Do you see the ears, or what might be ears? The ears. They're peeking above the wave. The second wave from the back. Okay, so moving, moving on. So this is like a this is like a pre mausoleum. This is like so this is where like once Picard dies, then they put him like I mean in the transporter buffer in this room. But before he dies, this is where they just like keep all of his stuff. Do you want to talk about some of the stuff that was in this room? This is a pretty incredible room. Yeah, I do. What was the significance about Picard's uh, captain's yacht from the Enterprise E that they kept from the? I know. I thought it was pretty amazing. You know what the significance of it was? No. Probably is the only screening mo- screen 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 screenshot model that is left that remains because I'm sure they had to rebuild a stargazer. I'm even sure they had yeah, to rebuild. I mean, yeah, I mean it's definitely not the same stargazer model that was in his office because it's not gold plated. Right, right. We're also we're also deciding that uh, somehow we only know about the starships that we know about, right? Because it is my. Uh, spoiler 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 territory it's my understanding that later in the series we see picard commanding another vessel before this point you know of the in time where he walks into this mausoleum so the only starships that we see mentioned here inside this little mausoleum are the enterprise d technically mm-hmm. and the enterprise e and the stargazer yeah, yeah. so strange that <laughs> We don't have things that were made up after that. Hmm. We even have, uh, for some, somehow we have, uh, oh no, he, he beamed it up with him to the Farragut, I believe, the uh, the Shakespeare volume that's over in the corner. He also got a fat white wad of cash. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> over wait, the wait, corner. wait, where? Yeah, he got fat a fat wad of cash, like underneath the, sh- like right beside the Shakespeare volume. He's, he kept all his uh, wards from it's, Starfleet, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Doctorates or whatever. Yeah. Did you go back and get a doctorate in archaeology? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Picard. <laughs> no, that's the other captain of the uh, Pasteur. Yes, of the Pasteur. So he has Worf's Batleth for some reason. I don't know why Worf gave us Batleth. He also has uh, the Captain Picard Day banner. Yeah, I mean, one, why did he, did he keep that? Or did he have it recreated? Uh, so he had definitely a new one made in honor of the original. Uh, okay. Because it's not quite identical to the original. Like, it's not? It's not. <laughs> it's okay. not. I, I wish that they had made it exactly identical, but it unfortunately is not okay. the same. There's a there's a there's a dick tag dick tag, which dick I can tag. only guess is either a the ceremonial weapon that he used that he had at his side as the chadich, or that, that's what, yeah that's you know the arbiter first, of succession, yeah. or he stole wars from him that Worf was going to use for the rustai. Oh okay. So who knows? I I imagine that he kept the one that he was as the chadich. I think that would make sense. Well, that was Worf's second, but he also was the arbiter of succession. Let's not forget. Well, for any of the number of Klingon, yeah, he, he used this, Oh, so perhaps that's not even. Maybe that's just a bat left that was gifted to him. Maybe it wasn't even Worf's bat left. He's. I'm just assuming yeah. that. Oh, yeah, it could be it. Ah, okay. 
I imagine he has many friends in the Klingon Empire. Yeah, I imagine. Which begs a question: Why, when Lursa and Bator attacked, why didn't he call some of them and be like, "Hey, get rid of these"? Maybe the uh, House of Duras had the ear of the uh, Council, especially after Worf had suddenly left them for some reason. I wonder if Picard kept on captaining the Enterprise E, and then that's when these other crew came along after Worf and Riker and Troy left. I mean, yeah, they would have had to. I mean, Worf left, O'Brien left. You know, O'Brien yeah. left first, let's say. <clears throat> yeah. Riker was supposed to go and captain the Titan at the end of one of the movies, the same movie where he got married. Yeah, Nemesis, which was the last game movie. That leaves him with a Darth of uh, a first officer, and we would assume that Data would have become his first officer after that, but that's not the case, so he needed a new operations officer, he needed a new first officer, he needed a new counselor, he also needed a new he, transporter chief, let's not forget. He, he needed a uh, new uh, pro prodigy teenage boy. He did, he did. He needed somebody <laughs> else to hate and to mentor at the same time. <laughs> Maybe, oh, could he have gotten a... Uh, Jake Sisko? Uh, no, no. Jake was busy writing stories. He could do that on the Enterprise. Mm. Of course, he didn't want anything to do with Starfleet. Yeah, why would he want to be surrounded by people in a uniform that's going to remind him of his father? Who, by the way, just abandoned uh, his uh, his uh, stepmom and their new infant child. So I wonder if then uh, Jake goes on to uh, marry his own stepmother and help raise the baby. <laughs> you know, just out of a well, sense duty. We tend to duty. think that's creepy, but that's, I mean, they're not related, so. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of okay. He's older than he is, huh? Sure, sure, I mean, it's kind of okay. He'd just be raising his own half-brother. Yeah, mm. it, it's interesting. Would it be his full brother? Because, nope. It is his brother. Oh, because his mother, yeah, is different, okay. Yeah. He'd be his three-quarters brother. Nope. Just half brother. Yep. Okay. Half -brother. Thank you for that. No problem. I don't think there's any such thing as three quarters sibling. Sure. If you unless maybe unless if you maybe. if you have your own if you have your own daughter with your sister and then have another kid with that daughter. What are we talking about? Welcome back to Let's Talk About Treks. Today we're discussing Star Trek Picard, episode, <laughs> episode one, season one. It's called Remembrance. We're right up at the part where Dash has just figured out that she is an android and she's having a complete like rejection of that. Yeah, she she she's been infected by the stigma that has been yeah. born from the attack on Mars. Listening to the propaganda. Yeah, that stigma that stigma that's in the society being that all synths are soulless murder machines. Also that synths are not real, you know, individuals. So I just want to point out that stigma is a huge driver of like societal trends that end up stomping on and marginalizing people. So Please yeah. don't perpetuate your own understanding of yourself as a soulless murder machine and then also decide to be, you know, progressive because that's not real, my friend. Not the stigma. <laughs> the stigma yeah. is a lie. Take the scales off your eyes. No, I'm just fine. No, but for real. 
That sounds familiar. What's that from? I don't know. I just made it up. Oh, okay. No, you didn't. So the weird thing is here that they, they do the standard um, horror movie trope here. They're running away from the bad guy that's trying to kill them, and they go upstairs. Yes. It's always the safest place to go. Because the bad guy's not going to be able to go up the stairs. They have no way of escape. Bad guys can't run upstairs. And why don't they have the ability to call somebody and beam out themselves? Why don't they just beam out? If they can beam in, I mean, if we believe that these pins that Picard is wearing is some sort of communication device, it's like tap, tap, security, tap, tap, beam me out. What do you think this is, the 32nd century? <laughs> you just tap tap and it beams you out. What the hell? You better wait a thousand years and come back and you can no, tap tap beam out. Don't tap tap beam out. You can tap 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 beam out, maybe. You can tap tap beam out. What are you doing? You need that extra tap here in the 24th century. Somebody was commenting about when this guy falls off the stairs. Somebody else was commenting? I'm pretty sure it was you. Oh, what were they saying? What were they, they, me, that not, maybe not me saying? Just the fact that they instantly beam out when they fall off the stairs. And how, how did that happen? Is there a safety feature to the stairs that anybody that falls off the stairs is going to just be instantly rescued by being beamed out? Um, or did they, the Romulans already have a lock on them? So, they, so the Romulans have this special gyroscope so that whenever you're like tumbling end over end, it just beams you back to home. Okay. Which makes it really difficult when you're like close quarters fighting in uh-huh. a turbo lift room that's spinning on a gimbal. Because oh, okay. it keeps beaming you away in the middle of the fight. And you're There's really just doing it. flips. Do Romulans have uh, xenomorph blood? Apparently Why say can't... you this? Apparently acidic and a little bit explosive. Yes, they have xenomorph blood. Also, Picard's <laughs> mausoleum has the same ceiling as Talon from Farscape. Who's Talon? The baby of Moya. Oh, oh right. Okay. Yeah. So, that's you know why that is. Okay. It's for these messages. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back to you. Oh, and you guys too. We are, we are still reviewing Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 1, Remembrance. Picard is getting a lot of dreams and images and messages from Data from beyond the grave. Do you think that could be what's happening here? No. No, I think Data, I think Picard's been having dreams about Data for years. Well, I think that he's been feeling guilt ever since uh, Data sacrificed himself for Picard. Oh, okay. I wonder how much he was able to interact with B4 before they outbanned uh, all sense. I think a lot. I think he tried to mentor him for a while and then turned um, him over to Daystrom, and then Daystrom tried to use him to reboot Data, and it didn't work. Although, in some comic book series, as I've heard and uh-huh. read, uh, it did work, and Data became the captain of the Enterprise. Okay. But, you know, that's not this reality. When the Kamikaze Ninjas beamed in, yeah. Picard is, like, super-duper strong. He's, like, a 70-year-old man, right? And he got blown across the courtyard backwards. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, like, he's got a little bump on his head. <laughs> Jeez. So do you think that the bump on his head exacerbated his irremotic syndrome? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know how it would or why it would. Well, I mean, it's a brain It's a brain thing, right? Okay. So, I mean, I imagine a brain injury could exacerbate an already decaying mental uh, or, you know, cranial issue. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's the only reason I was thinking. Who's this actress? The actress that he... Uh, you mean Alison Pill, who's playing Dr. Agnes Gerardi. Okay. Uh, Alison... Pill is her last name as in something I swallow in the morning with my... Yes, that is her last name. And uh, Alison Pill plays a character that is quite a pill to swallow. (laughs) Starting with her just abject laughter at Picard when he's asking a serious question about something that he's experienced. Uh-huh. And she's like, this is entirely ridiculous, you old man. Oh, wait a minute, you're serious. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm very confused. So at one point she mentions that since, you know, well, since our outlaw, that's the that's the general understanding of the series. Uh so why is there in fact a Daystrom Institute? Like what's the point? If the pinnacle of the robotics do you think that the pinnacle of robotics is no longer sentience, but something different something safely unsentient but still as functional although i mean if they're you if they were using them the way that they did on mars it seems like they could have used something without sentient to do that yeah i don't think that those things had true sentience yeah um i i don't feel that they had otherwise why would they go to the lengths that they did well I mean, programming. I mean, Data did run around a village, you know, with only his head showing and taking off and, like, trying to escape the planet. So, I... When was that? This was Star Trek Insurrection, the beginning of the movie. Oh, because he was wearing the cloaking suit and he only took off the hood. Right. And he was, like, running around doing crazy stuff. So, I could understand someone, like, tainting the programming of a positronic you know, Android and making them do crazy yeah. things fully because it happened yeah. before. It, it happened with Data. Oh, maybe that's where they're coming from. I mean, Picard and Riker and the rest of the TNG cast interacted with them personally. Starfleet, though, they don't have the same understanding as that crew did at, of Data. And yet the things that can accidentally happen, but those are things, similar things that accidentally happen to humans as well. Oh, this is absolutely true. But so a lot of Starfleet's interaction or encounters with or hearing about data is going to be the, the bad stuff, the negative reports when they say, hey, we need help taking out data or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, some admiral off at Earth all the time is getting these reports about Oh, Data's run amok. Oh, Data did this. Oh, Lore did this. But it, and it looks like Data did it, but it was really, you know, Lore. Um, or oh, so it's not a matter of it being a, a problem endemic with positronics, just a problem endemic with communication. Possibly, yeah. I mean, okay. imagine the time that imagine receiving the having to make the report and give the report, and then being the person who received the report of the time that Data actually did take over the ship, go to fly and meet his daddy. And yes, you know, yeah. he can mimic Picard's voice. Yes, very dangerous. Yeah, right? I, I, I can think that some admiral up at the top, their only perspective of data is the negative things that they've had to report on. Do you think that data could, if you wanted to, also mimic someone's biometrics? Oh, you mean like their heartbeat rhythm? And sure, possibly, but I don't. I mean, what what would be the benefit of doing that? 
So their breath is part of their biometrics, right? Okay. <laughs> so do you think an android could mimic someone's breath and sneak their way into the spore lab? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Oh, cool. The little morph from the necklace into the Romulan uh, bird of prey. That little oh. poof of space cloud. Yeah, the double ring spore. Yeah, I mean, very compelling. I also wonder if that formation, if we're supposed to think that that formation actually exists. Uh, I mean, and that's what the necklace was made from. Is that the idea here? Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe. I think that formation definitely could exist and probably does exist, but the connection might not necessarily be there. Huh. I mean, double okay. rings can be anything. I mean, I've seen things like that before. It's not a unique design. I got you. So, like, who dropped this guy off? Because the ship came, right? It, the ship faded from the necklace and the ship landed and then he walked off the ship and he just like walks right up to her from getting off the ship? Well, I think it's implied that the ship that we follow in and then we see really quickly just landing there, it's maybe a, a, a similar thing to like a shuttle. So my thing is like, so he just landed there. There was no like, like security check, yada, yada. He just walked up the ship and then like walked right up to like well, just walk yeah, right up there. Yeah, there was the uh red lights that turned green that was a security check as he was walking yeah through. but he didn't like check in with anybody we, and there was no they, like they just skip past all that oh okay plus all i right. mean that would just be boring you know we want to get to the you know the the twin this episode by the way shows you what's behind the turbo lifts and discovery it's apparently <laughs> the inner inner workings of a borg ship okay sure that's all behind because they're it's, they're nearly identical <laughs> well the first thing i notice is that these new uh romulan ships they're shaped very much like uh peregrine falcon sure specifically a peregrine falcon in flight when they can actually reach speeds exceeding 186 miles per hour which Yes. actually makes the peregrine falcon the fastest animal on the planet not the cheetah cheetah is only the fastest landing the fastest animal with their emotions is Narek, by the way Narek. yes he walks out of his shovel he walks directly over to soji and or dodge i don't know whichever one she is and he digs right into her emotions yep her name is dr soji asha it is indeed so Giasha. Yeah. I like the music here uh, in this scene at the uh, Romulan <sighs> Yes. So we have gone back to the original series and brought back the Romulan Dirge. I, okay. From Balance of Terror, which was that appearance of the Romulans with uh, Mark Leonard. I thought it reminded me a lot of the music from Batman Begins by Hans Zimmer and uh, James Newton Howard. It could. It could. It is meant to be a repeat of the Romulan Dirge. Okay. It's been a long time. I, I don't remember much music in that episode, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, too. The episode Balance of Terror? Yeah. Isn't that the episode where we're first introduced to the Romulans? Uh, I believe it is. Oh, okay. Maybe. Where Leonard Nimoy, or uh, Mark Leonard, is playing yes okay i just that that's a very like distinct piece of music that i like okay. recognized immediately and was like holy crap they went all the way back to it <laughs> i guess i'll have to go back and re-listen to that because you uh, should you should watch the episode again it's I, very, I heard like, batman begins fair enough. i thought it was weird how soji was kind of clinging to her necklace like a little girl as if she hasn't had it very long 
No, she hasn't. Or perhaps she was maybe thinking thinking of her sister because she sensed her loss. She could also just be, you know, twirling her hair because she just met a boy she likes. <laughs> well, there's always that, but that's a little bit uh, teenagery, isn't it? I think she's a little teenagery. <laughs> How old do you think Soji and Dodge are actually physically been in existence? I think they're supposed to be about twenty-ish. I meant how you think the the oh they've only been in they've only been around for a couple months okay yeah that's what i was getting at is that their their memories are 20 years old but their existence is only like we find out later in the season that they were created as number of days ago okay which is that number being less than 100 okay so so uh yeah about three months okay this episode was everything I needed in a return to Star Trek The Next Generation. It was very different. It was brought up all of the elements of Star Trek The Next Generation, especially those that relate to uh, the Captain Picard, those being the Enterprise D, and the Borgs, and the Romulans. Oh no, it's the Borgs! And also <laughs> yeah. Data, because Data and Picard, of course, were the stars. I hadn't realized this until much later in life. Like, it was, I was probably like, maybe, oh, it was maybe just maybe a couple of years ago that I realized that Picard and Data were intended to be the stars of the next generation. And everybody else was just kind of coincidentally there? Yeah, they were the ensemble cast. Oh, okay. But the first two characters listed are Picard and Data. Yeah. And a, a lot of the focuses, like the foci, are on Picard and Data. There's a little bit of Worf, there's a little bit of Everly, there's a little bit of everybody else, but there's a lot of Picard and there's a lot of Data. Mm-hmm. These uh, stealthy warbirds are. Uh, would you say that these are warbirds? I would say those are birds of prey. So they're Romulan birds of prey. I think warbirds are large. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Romulan had birds of prey before Klingons had birds of prey. Yeah, okay. The interesting thing is they're hiding in this what turns out to be a Borg cube. It almost they reminds are. me of the secret German rearming after World War One and before World War Two. The Germans weren't supposed to rearm at all. We had banned them from having a military. Mm-hmm. And here they are in a secret base in the middle of a, a Borg cube. Yeah. What do you think all those satellites are? Uh, the ones that are inside the Borg thing? Uh, outside of the Borg thing, the little T-shaped thing. They're holding it in place. Oh, okay. They're temporal, lock, temporal locking it. Okay. That's uh, that's about it, isn't it? I think we've reached the end of the episode. It was a very enjoyable episode. It was wonderful. And the the ending being a Borg Cube was... I You know, once upon a time, if someone had presented that to me on paper or told me about it ahead of time, I would have said, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it's so... Before, thus, far, yeah. thus far in the series, it's not overdone, you know? So I'm looking forward to what's yeah. what's going on with this thing and what's happening next. What's going on with this Android? What's going on with Data? And yada yada yada. I'm all, yeah. I'm all on Twitter. I might even tweet about it. <laughs> Go ahead. We do have a tweet tweeter account, ladies and gentlemen. Have we? It is at Trek Stalkers. It's Trek Stalkers because we yeah. we're talkers about Trek, so we're Trek Stalkers. We are at Trek Stalkers. Yes. Were there any interesting credits that you wanted to call out or anything? Uh, I think I did already. Just the fact that Michael Dorn is credited in this episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's about it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, right. 
Stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.